course, right in the middle of our study of the book of Acts. And um, as we've been saying every week, that the, the, um, the title of our whole series is called The Unstoppable Mission of the Church, or just shortly is called The Church on Mission. And if you've noticed, there's lots of themes that have been reoccurring in our study of Acts, but one of them, of course, is the power of the Holy Spirit empowering the early church to move forward with the mission that Christ set forth for them, right? And so uh, so we are studying now in Acts 13, this sort of transitional phase in the mission of the early church. Remember we had talked about, just as sort of a quick review, that with the church starting in Jerusalem, how of course the, the gospel message went to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And so we see that transition happening where sort of the mother church is in Jerusalem, but now there's this church in Antioch that we started learning about a couple of weeks ago that is predominantly a Gentile church, converse to Christianity, and some Jews, of course, as well, but predominantly Gentile. And this is now sort of the missions arm of the early church because they are then sending out missionaries with the gospel. And we were looking at last week how Paul and Barnabas went on the very first missions trip, remember? And so they went out from there. They went out to the, the island of Cyprus. They covered that whole island. And we're going to see what happens now when they move on from here and continue on this very first of Paul's missionary journeys. And you know, what struck me, that's sort of what's happening here, and we're going to see it kind of play out in this passage is that the gospel message of Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection, that simple but powerful message that is proclaimed by Paul and Barnabas, it went viral. Now we know what that word means, right? Right, And so we know in sort of our lexicon these days in our culture what it means when something goes viral. What, it, what does it mean? It means that it spreads, right? Kind of like a virus. Now, that's not a good thing when a virus spreads, but it's kind of a word that's caught on. So usually what happens is there is a video or something that's posted to the internet, something that's usually funny and almost always has to do with cute cats, and I don't know why that is, but that's just sort of the way it is. If you're a cat person, I guess you like that. Nobody's really laughing at that, so I guess we got a lot of cat lovers in in the church. That's all right. But anyway, usually it's a video of something, it's funny or amazing or unique or whatever, and, um, and they say it goes viral, which means it kind of catches on, you know, and it's, it's amazing how it works because it's not like there's any advertising campaign for it, it's just word of mouth. It's one person after another, and then it gets posted to different sites on the internet, right, it's on Facebook, and it's on Instagram, it's, it's wherever you can find it, and you see pictures, and you see videos, and it means it goes viral, and everybody starts talking about all of a sudden it's got like a million views you know it's amazing and um so that's basically what's happening with the gospel message and we're going to see in this passage it's a long passage today acts 13 it's starting with verse 13 but all the way to the end of the chapter verse 52 it's a sermon by the apostle paul and then we see in part of the response at the end how there's so many people that are so excited about it. They say, come back next week, and you'll see what happens the following week, the next Sabbath when they get together. But basically, the message of Paul has gone viral. 
And so this week there was this really, uh, this really funny video that I want to show you now that really went viral um, over the internet. And it had to all uh, to do about that great snowstorm. You know the one that we didn't get down here, right? But the one that up north, they still got like two feet of snow. So many of you have probably seen this, but if not, I want to show it. And if you have, it's, it's worth seeing again. You probably watched it 20 times already. So just, I want to ask you a couple of questions about it, but there's two parts. It shows you in regular motion and then kind of in slow motion again, but just watch it and just think about it because I want to ask you a couple of questions about this video that, that went viral, okay? Go ahead, and, go ahead and watch it. Some of it has sound, some of it doesn't, but you can just watch this train approaching the station. Now here, I believe they're going to do it in slow motion, though. So this was, of course, just after this major snowstorm. The first train of the morning for the morning rush, right? People trying to get to work. The first train of the morning, covered with like two feet of snow. And here's what happens. They're going to show one more time with a little audio. Listen to, to just, I think it's one more time and then you'll see it. No, yeah, it keeps playing. <laughs> That's good. So you can stop him. I'm sure there's a lot of other words that were said and expressed after that. So here's some things I noticed uh, I noticed about this, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you why I wanted to show it. But So there's some interesting things that are happening here. So first, you know, we see that lady, right, who's just kind of standing there, right? Now, what do you notice about her? Well, a few things. First of all, she's not moving, right? She's kind of watching it happen right? And it really wasn't until it was way too late that she actually decided to move, right? But there's also the fact that there's somebody recording this. So he's standing back and he's recording it and he's watching the whole thing happen, right? But then also think there's a conductor driving that train and he's got a unique expect, uh, you know, perspective as well, right? I mean, my guess is he's probably either saying, get out of the way, or he's probably just laughing, because what's he going to do? He can't stop. That train's coming, right? So think about this. There are different perspectives to the same event, all right? So you have the lady standing there. There's a couple other people standing there. And I just am amazed that she is really just clueless, actually. And she's just standing there while she's probably thinking about work or she's really tired or whatever. And here comes this train. And I mean, did she not notice that the tracks were covered with two feet of snow. I mean, what would she expect to happen? So here comes the train, and even as the snow starts to go, and then it really, she's still standing there. So I don't know what she expected to happen, but she had a very particular perspective on that event, right? So there were some other people there that also noticed what was happening. They didn't get out of the way until it was, la- until it was late. But then you have the train conductor. Now he's coming at it from a different angle. He's looking down. He's seeing what's about to happen. He knows they're going to get creamed. He knows it. 
So he's got a unique perspective too. The same thing, the same event, but he's looking at it from a different angle, a different perspective. And then you have my favorite is the guy taking the video. A couple of things I noticed. First of all, he was pretty steady watching the thing happen, almost like he knew, right? And he was getting on video, right? And then you see, of course, in the last one, when you hear kind of what he's doing is after it, he's laughing, right? So I'm thinking to myself, he not once said, get out of the way. He didn't tell the lady. No, he was just watching it happen. He knew that that lady was just standing right there. He had his own unique perspective. And then when it was all over, he was laughing. And then you heard some people in the background starting to scream. They couldn't believe what just happened. I mean, there was big chunks of snow coming. They got knocked over. But there was different perspectives for the same event. And that's what we're going to see today as we kind of focus on the last part of Paul's sermon. That it was one message, right? A very simple sermon, a gospel message. But there was different reactions to the end of it. And it really is something that we need to be reminded of that When we go to share the gospel, there's going to be different reactions to the same truth and the same word, but also for ourselves. There's different ways that we react to the truth of God's word if we choose to obey or to disobey. So we're going to see what happens to the church there, I mean to the the people in, in the synagogue when Paul gives this message. Now it's sort of an abbreviated sermon. It's really not a full-out sermon okay it's sort of kind of like you know when there's new movies coming out and they give a trailer and it's like a two-minute recap of the whole movie usually they show all the best parts right and you know like for those really bad comedies they show all of the funny parts in the trailer and you know that's pretty much it right you know the whole movie in, in two minutes but sort of there's this trailer and it gives a picture of what's going on because what is a trailer supposed to do a movie trailer Try to get your attention so that you go watch the movie, right? It's really what Paul does here. He gives this sort of sermon to really entice the people to want more. You know, there's a saying in in the entertainment business that you want to leave people wanting more, right? You want to leave people wanting more. I mean, we all have our favorite uh, TV shows that we watch and, you know, that that come up every week or whatever, or if they put out Netflix, you kind of binge watch and then you got to wait a year for the next season, right? But what happens is the better ones, they have a great way of leaving you wanting more after every episode, right? So we started watching this new show called Designated Survivor. It's pretty good. You know, it's pretty good. Uh, it's on Channel 7 or 2 or something, I forget. But, but anyway, at the end of every episode is just like, you know, you're just like, I can't believe it. You know, I can't, I, you know, you can't wait a whole nother week, you know, until it comes out. Because it's going along, going along, all of a sudden there's this amazing, crazy thing that happens, a new truth that's revealed, you know, and then you're like, well, what does that mean? But then you have to wait, right? If they would have revealed everything and kind of closed it, the story each time, then you probably wouldn't come back as often or be as interested. So Paul, the expert preacher that he is, he preaches this sort of condensed sermon about the history of Israel preaching mostly to Jews in the synagogue here first, and he leaves them hanging. He leaves them wanting more, and you're going to see the response. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to read the passage, all right? Kind of read it as if 
it's the sermon I'm giving because it's Paul giving a sermon. So I'm reading somebody's sermon. Okay, it's basically what I'm doing. And then when we're done with it, we, there's no way we can go through all these verses one by one, you know. So I want to focus on the ending. So pay attention particularly at the end of the sermon and then the response of the people in the synagogue. And so this is Acts 13. And it's verses 13 all the way to the end. Verse 52. So now Paul and his companions, they set sail from Paphos, and they came to Perga in Pamphylia. So they left the island, right? And they went north to the mainland. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Just as a side note, John Mark, the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark, he left them. And this comes up later in a couple of chapters about what that meant to Paul and Barnabas and their relationship to, uh, to John. All right? But John left them at this point. But they went on from Perga, and they came to Antioch in Pisidia. So this is a different Antioch. Let's make sure we get that. This is not the main church of Antioch. This is a different um, city called Antioch, but it's in Pisidia. So it's Pisidia, Antioch. Okay? So on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue, and they sat down. That's normally what Paul did. Okay? So after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, now this is his sermon, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. And all this took about 450 years. And after he gave them judges until... Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. So of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, just as He promised. Before His coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not He. No, but behold, after me is the one is coming, the sandals of whose feet. I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize Him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning Him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, 
they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that He raised Him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, He says in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid down with his fathers and saw corruption. But He whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. That's his sermon. And then look at what happens next. So Luke tells us the rest of the story. So as they went out, meaning Paul and Barnabas, the people begged that these things might be told them on the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism, they followed Paul and Barnabas who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are now turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they, meaning Paul and Barnabas, shook off the dust from their feet against them. And they went on to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So that's a lot. It's a long reading from God's Word, from verses 13 to 52. But again, in a nutshell, here's what's happening, and then I want to focus at the end. There is so much in here, you really should read it for yourself. You'll see so much that he talks about. There's only a little bit that we can really focus on this morning, trying to get a gist of the whole thing. 
But you'd want to go back and read it and kind of digest everything that's happening here. It's an amazing first sermon that we have recorded of Paul. But basically, they left the island of Cyprus. They went up, uh, they went up north to the mainland. They go up, they kind of had to cross some mountains. Wasn't that easy? Some scholars think that's why, that, that's why John Mark left, because he was afraid to cross the mountains. Others think that there was sort of a rift between him and Paul and, and in like sort of the nature of their, their missionary journey. You know, when you get a band together, oftentimes it's kind of like people start going their own separate ways. You know, it's hard to make music again, right? You hear about that all the time. And so they were these band of brothers. And so John Mark went his own way. He actually went all the way back. And so Paul and Barnabas continue on. And they go into the Sabbath. They go into the synagogue on the Sabbath. It's really what Paul always did. Going to the Jew first. Even though he was bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, he brought it to the Jew first. And so what happens is, there's a reading from the Law and the Prophets. That was common for what happened in the synagogue. You know, we get together on a Sunday and we kind of have a regular order of service. You know, usually there's regular elements that, that, that go on and, we, you know, we start with some worship and then we have our offering and, and a time of prayer, worship, you know, whatever it might be. And so they had an order, too. They sort of had an order of, of um, their, their gatherings. And so part of that was, of course, to read from the scrolls from the Old Testament. The Law and the Prophets. That's what, that's what is really just another way of saying the, the Old Testament, all right? So there was a reading. And then normally what would happen is there was a teaching or an explanation. And then often they would open it up for other men in the congregation there in the synagogue to share a word, maybe a word of testimony or encouragement or something. So that's why it says they pulled Paul and Barnabas aside and they said, uh, they kind of sent him a note, you know, and said, if you have any words to say, you should bring it. Because they recognized who they were, right? They were building a name for themselves, and so they did. And so Paul took the opportunity. It's kind of like somebody saying, hey, you're a Christian. Tell me all about your Jesus. I mean, man, what a great intro, right? And so that's what they did. So, they, so Paul stood up. And we know that Paul is kind of leading these missionary journeys now. It used to be Barnabas, but now he has uh, sort of acquiesced to Paul's leadership. And Paul is giving now this sermon. And so it wasn't going to be a lengthy thing, but he wanted to really hit home. So what should he do? First thing I notice is that he really tells the story to fit the context of the people he was talking to. He didn't go right to talk about the death and resurrection of Christ. What did he do? He started talking about the history of the people of Israel, and he sort of gave a condensed version of it. And he told them all about God's providence and protection, God's graciousness towards the people of Israel. And here's the main reason that he probably did this. Because he knew he was going to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And if you remember, the Jewish people, they believed that their righteousness came by the keeping of the law. But they also believed that it came just because they were Jews, like sort of from their background, right? Their racial origins. And so Paul knew that, of course, being a, a Jew himself and a leader of the Jews. And so he starts telling them one by one, sort of recounting the story about how their forefathers had failed. Had failed in the eyes of God, but God was gracious and long-suffering. Right? And so he tells them that to try to put it into context so they start to understand, to be ready to hear the gospel. He's prepping them to hear about 
the true nature of the offer of salvation from God now. That it was no longer through the law or their own good deeds. See, so he was using the opportunity to speak within the context of his audience to say, this is a short history of us as the Jews. But look at how God dealt with um, all of our disobedience. So we won't recount the whole thing. But he talks about, um, he talks about uh, from the time of Abraham, and he goes all the way through, uh, through Egypt. He put up with them in the wilderness, it says, right? And then it says, God destroyed the seven nations, verse 19 in Canaan. So he's talking about how he gave them the promised land. He goes, that took about 450 years total through that whole process. Then he gave them judges until Samuel, they wanted a king. But of course, that wasn't a good thing, right? So he's recounting all these things like, then you wanted a king, and our forefathers wanted a king, and, and God gave them a king. He gave them the kind of king they really wanted in Saul. But then for 40 years, then God had to remove him. Then he raised up David. Who is the one that God really wanted? He said, a man after my heart who will do all of my will. So then he goes right from David to who? To Jesus. And calling him a son of David. Showing the lineage of Jesus, right? The priestly and kingly lineage. So it, what a great, masterful job he's doing. He's telling the whole history and then boom, he goes right from David. And then look, this Jesus who is the true Messiah, what he's about to share with them, is of the line of David. And he says, remember, John the Baptist came. He wasn't the one. He wasn't the Messiah. But he was pointing to Jesus the Messiah. And then finally he brings it down and he tells them the good news about what happened. He tells them, he tells them how Jesus was betrayed and how he was crucified and how he was buried. But God, verse 30, God raised him from the dead. Then he appeared to many. Remember, he's telling the whole story now, right? It's a great thing for us to remember when we're sharing our faith, let's give a little context. Let's tell people about what it is we're talking about when we say being saved from our sins. Well, what does that mean? Let's give a little history here about the story of God. And he leads it right up to the gospel story. He says in verse 32, after all that, he says, and we are here to bring you the good news that what God promised, he did it. And it's Jesus. So he brings that story to a conclusion, to its fruition, right? And then he, um, again, we can't go into all the significance, but he, he references some Old Testament scriptures there to kind of prove his point. And then he goes on and he finishes at the end of 41, at the end of his sermon, basically saying, you now have, listen, he says, you now have the truth, so it's now on you. How are you going to respond? He says, make sure you don't respond like your forefathers did. And he quotes from Habakkuk, and this is in verse 41. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, but a work you will not believe even if one tells it to you. He's warning them that their hearts have been hardened. And he's getting them to try to understand they need to have a new perspective on what God was doing so they can recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And so it's all about really perspective on how you hear and respond to the gospel message. Because what happens is, after they get up and leave, and kind of leave them wanting more, it says a whole bunch of people ran out 
And they said, we want to hear more about this. Can you come back next week in encore performance? Come back the next Sabbath. So it says that what happened in verse 44. So the next Sabbath, almost the whole city was there. So the message went viral. So a week later, they all come back. Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But then it says, when the Jews, that really means the Jewish religious leaders. You probably caught on to that. But when the religious leaders saw what was happening now, now they were concerned. Because now there was huge crowds. And there was stirring up again. Even though Jesus had been put to death, they thought we were, they were done with that. Here he is, and the message um, of the good news of the gospel is now stirring it up again in the people. So it says, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. They preached it one more time. They're here to bring the light to the Gentiles. The Gentiles rejoiced, but the Jews, in verse 50, they basically, the leaders got together. They got all the leading women and all the leading men in their councils and their city and they said, we want you to start protesting. We know about protesting in this country, don't we? We know all about it. So they got them to start protesting and inciting violence, inciting protesting. It says they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district where they weren't safe any longer. So Paul and Barnabas were driven out so that they had to leave and move on from that place to Iconium. But their job was done, wasn't it? They planted the, she- the seed. They shared the gospel. Church, our responsibility in carrying on the mission of Christ, I mean, the whole book of Acts is church on a mission. Our responsibility is to share the gospel, right? To plant the seed. To plant the seed. To continue telling the story of Jesus Christ. And that's what he called his disciples to do. Thank you, brother, for the amen. Right? To take the great commission. Go ye therefore into all the world, right? Teaching them, baptizing them, making disciples. And they had the authority and the power to do it because they had Jesus with them. The person of the Holy Spirit leading this whole missionary journey. So then something interesting. Before I kind of just close on, on what our focus should be and our takeaway. Look at what they did. In verse 51, a very interesting thing. Hopefully you picked up on it. Maybe you're not sure exactly the meaning. But here's what happened. After they were driven out, as they're actually being driven out of the city, it says, Paul and Barnabas, they shook the dust off their feet at them. And they moved on to Iconium. You know what that means? It's a pretty strong gesture. And if anybody were to see that, they would have known what was happening. Because didn't the Lord Jesus instruct his disciples to do that? And here's what it means. It might even sound kind of harsh for God wanting his disciples and his followers to do that. But it meant, you know what? If you go and you share the gospel and it's received, then praise God. You can stay there. You can start discipling them, teaching them. We saw that happening, right? We saw it happening at the house of Cornelius. We saw him staying for a while. We saw it happen elsewhere where the new believers were like, stay, stay, stay and teach us. But the Lord Jesus also commanded his disciples that if you go and you share the good news and you plant that seed, but you're not received, if it's rejected, he first said, remember, they're rejecting me, not you. That's what he tells them. But then he says, you can shake the dust off your feet at them and move on. Basically saying your job is done. And if they're going to reject Jesus Christ, then they have sealed their fate. That's what Jesus was saying. And so Paul and Barnabas did it, and they followed the instructions of the Lord Jesus. 
and they shook off the dust from their feet. I want to tell you a quick story. It's kind of sobering. But at a previous church where I served many years ago, there was a gentleman who had been at the church for a long time, and it was quite an unfortunate situation, but through um, a lot of um, events, he kind of felt like he was wronged by the church. And I can tell you as a leader there, this kind of happened way before I even got there, but the effects of it were kind of felt once I got there. And, and uh, he had felt slighted and wronged, and even betrayed by the church. And we, we learned later that he had a lot of issues, unfortunately. It was a, a very unfortunate situation. But he chose one Sunday to show up while I was leading worship. He came into the congregation of about 400 people, and he walks in the side door as if like that door right there. And he comes in, and everybody's just like staring. And I'm leading worship, and in the corner of my eye, I see him come in, and everybody kind of falls silent. And the band kind of stops, and we look over, and the pastor stands up and addresses him, can I help you, brother? And he says, I'm here to shake the dust off my feet at you. He came into the service to do that and left. It's an amazing experience that he felt like he needed to do that. But that's what he was doing. And it was quite unfortunate. He didn't need to do that. It was, it was obviously I could go on and on about the, the history of that. But it was something that, I mean, I don't think any of us would ever really experience that, right? Right in the middle of the service. But that's what he was intending to do, what he thought was the right thing to do, saying that I am done with this church. You have sealed your fate. That's what he thought he was putting like condemnation on us. But what Jesus said to his disciples was, you go, and not with animosity, but you go and plant the seed. You do what God has called you to do, and it's up to them and how they respond. Remember I started talking about perspective, you know, with this video, right, about the snow plowing and into the people. Everybody's got a different perspective. And so we see what happens here now is after Paul and Barnabas leave, right, there's sort of the immediate reaction is all the people that follow him. Like those are the people that right away they get it and they hear it and they're interested. They want to know more. There was some that actually followed him right there. They probably stayed with them all week right by their side. They didn't want to wait till the following week, right? That happens sometimes. You plant the seed and it grows. It starts growing immediately. But then there was sort of this delayed reaction. They said, well, why don't you come back next week? You know, we want to hear more. So they weren't quite convinced, but they asked them to come back. And so the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came. They wanted to hear more about this. And there were those that rejoiced and those that, that became believers. Because it says, to those who were appointed salvation, they believed. A very simple word there. It says, they believed. And then there was the reaction of the Jewish leaders which we're very familiar with. And so the Jewish leaders saw at first, they thought it was all right, but then they saw the crowds come back the next week. They knew we couldn't have this. So they went around causing division and derision and calling up leaders saying, go protest, cause some trouble, get them out of here. We don't want them here. And they drove them out by their violent protest, drove them out of the area. Different responses same message same truth it's all a matter of perspective and so really what it comes down to is the message the good news of the gospel was given 
They were called as a Jewish people to repent. Why did Paul go through the whole history, right? Not the whole history, but sort of giving highlights of the history of how God provided them and put up with them one time after another, after the disobedience, to show them, look, you're not righteous just because you're trying to keep the law. You're not righteous just because you're a Jew. You didn't inherit righteousness that way. They're bringing the good news of the gospel. It says that it's all about belief. It's about belief in Christ as the Messiah. So he's showing them from their own history, look, you can't do it on your own. You have failed. Our people have failed time and again. God has seen fit at this day to bring the Messiah. And that Messiah is Jesus. And they're saying, we're the ones bringing you the good news. What are you going to do about it? And so the response all comes from their perspective. But they were called to repent. To repent of their ways of thinking that they were righteous because of the law. To repent because of the fact that um, anything that they did in their past would merit righteousness. They were to repent of any thought of obtaining righteousness and God's blessings by keeping the law. They needed to repent of any self-righteousness and to then turn their trust to God's righteousness in the person of Jesus. Let me explain to you. Do you know what this word repent really means? We often talk about this idea of kind of having a 180 turnaround. We say repent of our sins, like I've been going this way and doing this thing, but I need to turn it around and go the other way towards God. The essence of that word repent is really important to understand. It means a change of mind. It means to change our minds about something. So when we repent, if we're repenting of a sin, it means to change our mind about doing what we've been doing, about being disobedient. But the bigger picture and even more important to understand is that word repent, when we're called to repent, we're called to change our minds. Change our minds about what? About who Jesus is. Because time and again, we learn from the New Testament that faith comes by believing, right? It is by grace we have been saved through faith, right? Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But it is that belief, what does it say in Romans 10, right? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's about belief, but repenting means to change your mind about Jesus not being who He is, to Jesus being who He is, doing what He says He will do, right? There is so much more to belief than to just understanding and agreeing to the facts. Do you follow me there? Like, we can take a set of facts about Jesus and say, okay, we believe that, but what we're really saying is, okay, the first part is we're believing it to be true, like we agree with the facts, but then are you willing to trust in that for your eternal salvation. See, belief is not easy. Along with belief comes not only agreeing to the facts, but to putting your trust in it. That's what it means when we say, do you believe? Are you a believer? It doesn't just mean you believe about Jesus. It means that you put your faith and trust in Him for who He says He is. That God is who He says He is. He will do what He says He was going to do. And that is all wrapped up in the person of Jesus. It is really important we understand that nature of repentance. 
that we are changing our minds. That is what has to happen first. A changing of the mind about who Jesus is. Is he the Messiah or is he not? Is he the way, the truth, and the life or is he not? When he says, no one comes to the Father except through me, is it true or not and do we put our trust in it? It's kind of like this. We've probably heard this example before, but it paints a great picture. You've heard about the great tightrope walker who would walk back and forth on this tightrope strung between two skyscrapers in a great city. And he would get crowds that would come after him to watch him on the rooftops. And he would walk across this tightrope over the city several stories up and they'd be amazed and clap. They couldn't believe, man, it was awesome what he was doing back and forth. And then he came to the crowd and he said, do you believe that I can walk again? They say, yeah, we believe it. And he would do it. And he'd get a wheelbarrow out and he'd say, do you believe I can walk across this tightrope with this wheelbarrow? Yeah, you can do it. And then he said, who wants to be a volunteer to get in the wheelbarrow? See, that's where the trust comes in. They believe. So the first part is believing he could do it. Do we believe in the facts about Jesus that are presented to us in the Gospels? But then are we willing to get in the wheelbarrow? That's where the trust comes in. Right? So we have to be careful about what we say when we, when we say the words repent or believe. Because believing is not just that intellectual assent where you say, yes, I agree with the facts. It's putting your faith and trust in those facts for your eternal salvation. So that was what was on the line when Paul shared the gospel story with them. And at the very end, it said, to those who were appointed salvation, they believed. But the seed was sown. The gospel message was presented clearly, even to the point where more people wanted to come back. So the question is this, and I pose this question to you now. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I hope that you're confident in your salvation because of your belief in Him. But if you are here and you are searching, and you're not yet sure of what that all means, let me tell you, That today should be that day. Why another day? Why not this morning? To know that you can have that hope of eternal life because of what Jesus Christ has done. Paul laid it out so beautifully and said there is no way Jew or Gentile can ever earn your salvation on your own. We cannot do enough good works or enough good things for other people or for God to earn our place in eternity, in heaven with Him. It is all done by the gift of God in His Son, Jesus Christ, who we know is called the Passover Lamb. You remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus approaching to baptize Him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is a gift. It is a pure and simple gift from God. Our response based on our perspective of the truth, is to reach out and accept that gift. And if you do, and Scripture says, if you then believe, which means you accept it as fact, and you put your trust in it, that you are then saved. And the righteousness of Christ has been imputed or put onto you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. But it is given to you. Your position before God has then changed 
And God sees you now as a righteous son or daughter of His. But it's all because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the simple gospel message that the Apostle Paul preached. So let's remember that. It's a matter of perspective, really, and how we respond to the truth. We know that whole parable, the sower and the seed, and there'll be different responses to the truth. But our responsibility as the church is to simply be the salt and to be the light. See, Paul was being salt, wasn't he? He was making it very tasty and flavorable for them so that they would want more. And they did, and they came back and they heard it. And as to many as were appointed salvation, they believed. They believed. Today could be that day of salvation for those who do not yet believe. For those of us who believe and are followers of Jesus Christ, be encouraged to know that our responsibility is to share the hope and to always be ready to give an account for it, for that great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And that we can go and preach a simple message of salvation just like the Apostle Paul did. Right? No matter what the response, we have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us every step of the way. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the amazing Word that You present to us each and every week. God, thank You that we have our Bibles that we can open at any moment of the day and see the truth of who You are and who we are in Your sight. Father God, we thank You for today's Scripture, the great sermonette by the Apostle Paul, giving us this this great condensed trailer of the truth of Jesus Christ, that He is that true Messiah. Thank You for the great reminder as well, Father, that we cannot earn or work towards our salvation but that it is a simple gift of You, that it was paid for by Jesus Christ, that we would accept it, and that because He died for us, we would then commit to live for Him. But thank You, God, that You make it as easy as believing. And we desire, God, that You would help us to never forget it. That we wouldn't start trying to earn our salvation, or earn favor with You. But God, thank You that You love us and that You desire to shower Your blessings on Your children. We praise You, God, as it said in today's Word, that the Gospel is a Gospel of freedom to bring us freedom that the law could not. We thank You that You have set us free. We praise You in Jesus' name. Amen.